how cool is that? Uh, Porter and Mike, one more time. Congratulations, guys, on your baptism. So excited for them. So excited. Um, I, I got to tell you, one other announcement I didn't make earlier. I wanted to make it now. Uh, this past week, on Monday night, when our former mayor, Carly Mayer, passed away, Carly and her husband, Roger, and their kids go to our church, and uh, that was tough. She, she lost a battle with uh, brain tumors, cancer, all of that stuff, and she fought hard. Um, but we're going to be doing the service a week from tomorrow, the 28th, but we're going to do it at Cornerstone because they seat about twice as many as we're able to seat, and we know it's going to be a big turnout because of her involvement in this community for years. Uh, so it's going to be on the 28th at 11 a.m. Um, at Cornerstone. But I thought before we do anything else, let's just take a minute and pray for them and for their family. God, it's, it's a huge loss to lose someone so special uh, to our church, to, uh, to our community at large. And we ask God, uh, knowing full well that she is with you, with a brand new body and doing well. We pray, God, for, for Roger and for the kids, for the family. And for, for the countless others that will, that will miss her, miss her presence, miss her encouragement, miss her tenacity. So we ask God that you would be blessing uh, in these next few days in particular, and especially on that service day, that your name would be glorified. As we honor her, we want to honor you as well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. So that was one thing that happened this week. Um, on the other spectrum of things... <laughs> Uh, yesterday, I celebrated 36 years at this church. 36 years. Now, you know what that means, right? That means I'm well into my 40s now. So it just means I'm old. It's what it means. 36 years. And I, I sat back this week, and actually, like, ever since about Easter, because I started on an Easter in 1987. So every Easter, I think about it. But but the official date's on the 19th. And so I, I got to the 19th, and I spent some time thinking. And I looked back, and I thought, man, so many things to celebrate, so many, so many things to, uh, to smile about, like so many things. Like I could go on and on and on. But, but I have to be completely honest. In 36 years, there, there was enough pain, too. And I've lost really good friends, really good friends who've passed away. But I've also lost really good friends over a difference of opinion. I've lost friends over feelings getting hurt. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you know like relationships are hard, right? Like relationships are awesome. Our greatest joy comes from the interaction we have with other people, the people that we love. But our greatest pain comes from people as well. And so in 36 years, I could say, you know, it was the best of years. It was the worst of years, all mixed together in this beautiful thing that God has done uh, in our lives. And, and how this church has blessed us has been absolutely amazing. But it comes with like the whole thing, right? It's like, you know, you have a family, you love that family, but there's, there's good days and there's, there's difficult days. That's just the truth about reality and the truth about relationships. So today we're going to dive in like, all the way into the pool of relationships and figure some stuff out because I do believe God has a lot to say about relationships. I mean, you just begin to read through the Bible and you're going to see this. But here's what I know. Probably nobody growing up had a class on how to have great relationships. As important as it is, like we're not really taught that in a formal setting. We pick it up from our family, 
from friends, whether it's good or bad advice, we, we pick it up, either we listen to it or we watch it. You know, it's like there's a lot more caught than taught when it comes to parenting. So uh, we, we watch our parents, and if we had great parents, then good. We, we learn something good and healthy about relationships. And if it was completely dysfunctional, maybe we learned everything we don't want to do in our next relationship. And I've had that conversation over and over with people in the years. I'll ask them, what did you learn from your parents? And they're like, do you want to know the good stuff or the bad stuff? I'm like, I just, I just want to know what you learned, man. You can put it however you want it, right? Well, we're going to get into this, but let me set it up this way. We started Easter weekend with this series. This is for everyone. It's the, what, what's this? The church. The church is for everyone. So when the church is launched, Peter, the apostle Peter, is preaching to all these people, thousands of people, and he quotes something that's repeated at different times in the Bible. And it's this in Acts 2.21. This is one of the places. He says, and, everybody say it, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this is where we started Easter week. And then from there, he continues to talk about Jesus. He tells him about his death, burial, and his resurrection. That's what we had a big party about on Easter weekend. And then he said, now, if you want to receive Christ, like repent to be baptized, 3,000 people were baptized. By the way, with two more tonight, we have some others lined up. We're already about 50 people this year who have said, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, and they've taken that plunge. So that's exciting, right? And that's because you keep praying for and inviting your friends and your family. Keep that up. Keep that up, right? So after these 3,000 people get baptized, it says they, the people who were just baptized, the, the, the initial group that started the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We talked about this last week. I'm just going to say this. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go watch it on our website, on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, listen to the podcast, whatever. Just get that one. A, a lot of helpful stuff about the Bible. And to fellowship. This is where we are this week. To the breaking of bread. That's next week. And to prayer. That's in two weeks. So those are the four things we're looking at because we know they were guided by the Holy Spirit. They had the power of the Holy Spirit. But there are certain things they did. They devoted themselves to these four things. And so we're going to pay attention to these four things. So fellowship, relationship. In fact, when you read on into the very next couple of verses, this is what you see. Everyone, oh wait, who, who's this for? Everyone, everyone in the church, everyone was filled with awe, the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying, I forgot to underline that word, that's the third time it's used. Enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, so I underlined it twice. I should have underlined it three times. What's the word? Together. See, we, we, were, we were made for relationships. We were, we were made for community. We were made to do life together. And while we maybe never had a class about relationships, relationships and how we deal with people might be one of the most important things we ever learn, a relationship with God and relationship with others. It's, it's about relationships. And so we're going to, like I said, we're going to dive into this and look into this because there were some things they were doing in the early church that completely rocked the culture of the day. And a big part of that was the way they did it all together. Now, what I want to do is I want to walk through four different negative attitudes 
that are going to mess up relationships. In case you've never had a class on relationships, you're about to get one. There's four things the Bible says are horrible. In fact, I've been through my share of relational conflict. I've seen friendships shattered. I've seen families break apart. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And I would say I've seen all four of these things at work in just about every situation. Here's the first one. Selfishness destroys relationships. Selfishness. In James, he says it this way. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, look at this. You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. By the way, what's the motive? <laughs> Selfishness. Okay? That you may spend what you get on your pleasure. So he's saying the thing that creates all the problem, the quarrels, the conflict, the thing that's at the root of all that is our selfishness. That's the motive, the wrong motive, that's at the core of all this stuff. Now, let's just talk about marriage for a second as, as one relationship. When it comes to a marriage, there's the whole dating process, and then there's the marriage, all right? I would say if we, if we charted it out, effort... Are you ready for this? Effort during the dating process would look like this. We're opening doors for her. We're buying her flowers. We're doing everything we can to get her full attention and a cooperation and commitment. And then we get married. And then we're like, all right, I got her. I think I got her. I think we're done. You know, 30 years later, yeah, we're fine. I told her 12 years ago I loved her. If it ever changes, I'll let her know, you know. That's kind of the way it kind of goes, right? And so what happens is as soon as we let off the gas selfishness comes in. We don't have to try to be selfish. Did you know that? It's pretty natural. It's natural for me, okay? I can only speak for myself, but I know it's true of all of you, right? Selfishness is natural, and we get into trouble with that. I love something Rick Warren said about marriage, and it goes, it's like, remember that chart? This is what he said. If there was more courting in marriage, (laughs) there would be less marriages in court. Are you picking up what we're throwing down, right? If, there was, if we continue to date, continue to pursue, continue that energy that instead of caring about myself, caring about that other person, like what could God do in the midst of all that? Like what, what could he really do, right? Listen to this. This is C.S. Lewis after he lost his wife to cancer. He's so hurt. He's like, I don't know if I could ever love anybody again. I don't even know if it's worth it. And then he writes this. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make, sin, if you make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Listen, the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Love is dangerous, but it's worth it. Selfishness 
It's just going to drive a wedge in between any potential friendship relationship that we could have. Selfishness gets in the way. So what do you think the opposite of that is? Selflessness. Selfishness destroys relationships, but selflessness builds them. Okay, so if I asked you if, if you knew who Ian Crocker is, a lot of you would be like, ah, I don't know. And you may not even be a swimming fan, but does anybody know who Michael Phelps is? All right, so we know that name. In 2004, in the Athens Olympics, Michael Phelps already had multiple gold medals. Ian Crocker was dealing with a flu, flu symptoms, was, was performing subpar for his ability. And he was about to walk away from the Olympics with no medals. But they're ready for the 4 by 400 relay. And Michael Phelps gave his spot to his friend, Ian Crocker. He says, I want him to have a shot at a gold medal. When he wasn't standing by Ian when he said it. Ian gets the word, and he's blown away. He literally said he was speechless. I don't even know what to say. He says, but, but hearing that makes me want to go out there and wreck that pool. And they did. Break in another record, and Ian Crocker walked away with a gold medal. Why? Because Michael Phelps was selfless. Do you think Ian will ever forget that moment? No. Selflessness makes an impact on other people. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 has a lot to say about this kind of stuff. In verse 3, it says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. That's selflessness. Selflessness. I don't want to think about myself. I want to think about you. I want to think about your needs. I, you know, if I'm married to you or you're my kid or you're my parent or you're my friend or my coworker or my neighbor, it's like, how can I pay attention to what you need and, and begin to meet your needs? How can I value you above myself? You know, we, we need to look for that and work for that. Well, let me give you another problem. It's a big one, Pride. Pride destroys relationships. I, if, I was, if I was asking the question and nobody, nobody would actually say, oh, I don't think so. I think pride's okay. No, no, nobody thinks pride's okay. But again, it comes pretty naturally to us. Chan Gailey, back at this time, was the coach, football coach of um, Alabama State, uh, Troy State, Alabama, Troy State in Alabama, Troy State University. And they were getting ready to play for the national championship in their division. And he's on his way to the practice field, and a secretary flags him down and says, you have a call. And he says, take a message. And she says, but it's Sports Illustrated. And he goes, I'll take it in my office. And he's walking back to his office thinking, man, this is huge. We're playing for a national championship. Can you imagine what an article with Sports Illustrated would do to our program and how it would help recruiting? And he walks in there, and he picks up the phone, and he says, hello, this is Coach Gailey. And they said, Hi. This is Sports Illustrated. Your subscription is about to be removed. Would you like to renew it? When he tells the story, he says, you're either humble or you're humbled. Pride is a nasty thing. We, we can spot it in other people. It's hard to see in ourselves. Listen to this. Pride leads to conflict. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Pride 
I already know. I know what I need to know. I don't need to ask him. But, but that leads to conflict. You know the um, series, the comedic series about, you know, you might be a redneck if. You know what I'm talking about? You might be a redneck if, you know. So you can share those later, you know, um, outside eating ice cream. All right, so we'll do that later. But I was thinking, you know, you might have a pride issue <laughs> if you're super competitive. By the way, I'm only picking the, ex- the examples of pride that fit me the best. You might have a pride issue if you're super competitive. And what happens when you're super competitive, you're always comparing yourself with other people. Comparing their clothes to my clothes and their car to my car and their job to my job and their salary to my salary and their vacations to my vacations. We're always comparing and then judging and then like, okay, so, so they're, they're not as special as I am because of this, right? I literally had the thought one time, I'm driving down the road in our car, and my wife at the time, she had this uh, Chrysler Town and Country van. It was, the, the girls called it the Loser Cruiser when they were little, but it was actually a pretty nice van. Leather seats, bucket seats, it was comfortable, but it was, it was limited. You know what that means, right? That means we're more special than anybody else. That's, you know, other people had different versions, but I knew the limited had the most bells and whistles. And I caught myself one time driving down the road behind another town and country that was the exact same color, and theirs wasn't limited. And a part of me was like, <laughs> but ours is limited. And I was just like, you idiot. If we're so competitive, we're always comparing to try to make ourselves feel better. That's like, that's a problem. That's why it drives a wedge between us and other people. You know, you, you might be a redneck. Well, you might have a pride problem. If you're competitive, if you're always comparing, if you're always looking at other things in other people to make you feel better, trying to find the dirt, trying to find the problem in somebody else. One uh, grandma tells this story. She says her granddaughter, Melissa, this day she got for her birthday a watch and some perfume. And she she was pretty young. But she put a little bit of the perfume on and the rest of the day, she annoyingly went to every person in the family, hey, smell my perfume, smell, smell. Hey, do you see my watch? Do you see my watch? Look at my watch, look at my watch, smell my perfume, smell, look, smell, look, smell, look. So they get to dinner time, and the mom's about had it, and the mom says, okay, Melissa, here's the deal. I know you're super excited about your gifts, but you can't talk about them during dinner. She was silent the entire dinner time. She was still doing this every now and then. She didn't say a word. They get done. Somebody gets up to take some plates, and she goes, I know I'm not supposed to talk about it, but if you hear something or smell something, it's me. I'm going to tell you right now, if pride is in the room, you're going to smell something. You're going to hear something. Look at this verse. Another one's out of Proverbs. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before the fall. Right? We, we know that about pride. That's, that's a famous reminder, and yet we still kind of walk down that road because it comes so naturally to us. So what's the antidote? Well, pride destroys relationships, but humility builds them. Humility. First Peter chapter 3 says this, Finally, all of you, he gives us like 
in ingredients for a great relationship. Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. I was spending some time with this verse. Like sometimes, you know, when you just read a verse and you stop and just kind of read it again, you know, the, the, maybe the Bible word for that's meditate. You just kind of like sit there and chew on it for a while. It dawned on me that being humble is kind of like the foundational thing for all of these. Like if I'm humble, then I'm going to be compassionate. If I'm humble, then I'm going to demonstrate love. If I'm humble, I'm going to be sympathetic. But I've got to, I've got to, like we said earlier, like think less of myself. Thinking less of myself doesn't mean I'm putting myself down. I'm just literally thinking of myself less. Okay? Being humble is about putting other people first. That's what we're trying to do. Here's another picture of it. Philippians chapter 2. In fact, when you go to Philippians chapter 2, it, it talks about unity, and, and a big key of that unity is, is our humility. And then he says, the example is Jesus. So I'll read this in a second, but let me say it this way. If you really want to be a humble person, then hang around humble people. Because you, who you hang around, you know, your friend circle, I tell you right now, whoever you're hanging around, that's what you're going to be like, and that's what you are like. So, so choose carefully. If you want to be a humble person, spend more time with Jesus. Look at this. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. He had just talked about being humble. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. Some translations say attitude. The mindset or attitude as Christ Jesus. Now, this, these are colons here. He goes on from verse 6 down to verse 11, explaining that Jesus left heaven, put on a human body, in order to be a servant, in order to go to the cross for us. He, it says, humbled himself. I mean, if anybody had a right to be served, it was Jesus. But what did he say? I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many, he was, he was humble. That's what he did. Here's another one. Insecurity. Insecurity destroys relationships. Now, this is more subtle than the first two. The first two might be obvious to you, but, but insecurity destroys relationships. Listen to this in Proverbs 29. The fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in, God's pro, in, in God protects you from that. But I want, to, I want you to look at this top phrase. The fear of human opinion disables. The fear of human opinion. Well, what is the fear? The fear is, well, we desperately want to be close to people. But we're afraid to be too close to people. And we constantly feel that tension. I want to be close to people, but I can't get too close. Why? We're, we're afraid of what they're going to think of us. If they really know who we really are, by the way, I, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes with this. I'm just going to say it. I think this is one of the reasons that uh, living together instead of getting married it really doesn't work in the long run. See, if, if you're in a relationship where both people already have one foot out the door, like we haven't made a commitment, we're not in this for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health. We're in this just to hang out and play house for a while. And if it lasts for 10 years or 20 years, great, but everybody's got one foot out the door. So how truly revealing of yourself are you going to be? Probably not very. Because what if they don't love you? I mean, if you're really open, if you really showed them who you really are, they might just bail because you're ready to bail. 
See, that, that, that kind of commitment we need. We need to have that commitment so that we can say, okay, now you can see all of me. And I know you're not going to run. See, we're, we're, we're afraid of, oh, I don't know the right word, exposure, being exposed. Now, I do use that word on purpose. Look at this in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. So Adam and Eve, they ate from that tree. It wasn't just Eve, by the way. He was right there with her, and then he ate it too, big knucklehead. So he could have stopped her. No, that's another message for another time. Anyway, so they, they messed it up. And then God comes looking for them, and they hide, right? He, and, and, and God says, why'd you hide? He says, I heard you were in the garden, and this is, this is Adam talking, talking to God, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, before that, he didn't know he was naked. He didn't know, right? It was that, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now they know, and so they hide. They know, so they hide. By the way, when I read this this week, it dawned on me, there's a whole lot of people today who aren't that fearful of being exposed physically. They walk around with way too little clothes on and it doesn't seem to bother them. Like, I'm seeing things I shouldn't see at Walmart and a bunch of other places. Like, porn is a multi-billion dollar industry. People aren't afraid to be exposed physically. You know what we're really afraid of? We're afraid of being exposed emotionally. Exposed emotionally. We don't want anybody to see that part of us, that side of us. Because what, what really is going on here is there's a fear of rejection. If I expose my fears, my doubts, if I, if I expose who I really am and, and some of my failures and the ways I've messed up, and then you turn your, what, what is that? That's rejection. It's a fear of rejection. I'm going to tell you right now, that continues. This insecurity continues to drive a wedge between, what, especially in marriage, what should be the most intimate relationship we have. And we're not just talking physically intimate. We're talking intimate in every level. But that fear of rejection continues to drive a wedge in there. So what do we need? Insecurity destroys relationships, but love builds them. I'm not talking about Hollywood love. Please don't misunderstand me, all right? This is the kind of love that is a commitment. This is the kind of that agape love, God kind of love that loves us unconditionally. So God knows you. It's not you like, like you've been able to hide anything from him. He knows it all, and he still loves you. Let the truth of that love just sink in for a minute. That, that's the love he has for us. So in 1 John chapter 4, it says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Okay, so how do we get this kind of love? Now, in, if you're following on your notes, I gave you the verses. But the three verses ahead of this talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Because God is love. He doesn't love us because he, ha he has to like, oh. Did you see what they did yesterday? Okay, I'll, I'll love them. Like, like it's an effort. No, God is love. He just absolutely loves you. There's nothing you could do to make him love you more. And there's nothing you could do to make him love you less. Even on your worst today, God perfectly, completely still loves you. That doesn't change. And so we get to go to him and say, God, I completely blew it. Like, like he already knows that, but we, we need to tell him. 
And he's not going to turn his back on us. He, who knew no sin, became sin. Jesus, on the cross. And so now God can look at his children, those who have accepted Christ, who are part of his family, he can look at us and he doesn't see that sin. He sees us as his kids. As a parent, there are times maybe like on a two-year-old sitting in their high chair and they, they, they're, they're talking, they're telling a story and they accidentally knock over their milk. Total accident, Right? We don't need to be yelling at them, spanking them, throwing them across the room because they accidentally knocked over their milk, right? Now, it's different when they pick up the milk and they look at you and they chuck it at your face. Maybe you have to handle that differently. I'm still not suggesting you throw them across the room, right? But those are two different things. One's an accident. One's a very deliberate act of rebellion. Guess what? We've done both to God and he still loves us. You're not going to change that by the way you act, by what's happened. And he still invites us into a relationship with him. That's, that's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Here's one more. Resentment destroys relationships. Resentment. Listen to this. This is Max Lucado in a book called The Applause of Heaven. He says, resentment is when you let your hurt become hate. Resentment is when you allow what is eating you to eat you up. Resentment is when you poke Stoke, feed, and fan the fire, stirring the flames and reliving the pain. Resentment is the deliberate decision to nurse the offense until it becomes a black, fury, growing grudge. He paints quite a picture, doesn't he? <laughs> like resentment is hanging on to that stuff and stoking it and reliving it and getting all kind of messed up again. Like you wake up in the middle of the night and you were just fine until you started thinking about it. Now you can't sleep and you go pace the house and it, and it almost feels good. Like, man, if I, if I run into that person, they better look out. Like, resentment. It gets a, heart, a hold of our heart. It gets a hold of our soul. And it does the damage. Now here's the truth. <coughs> Excuse me. Here's the truth. Things will happen in life that will hurt you. Pain is a part of life. People in your life, the people that you love the most, will hurt you, will fail you at times, may reject you, may, may backstab. It's like all these different scenarios, all these different relationships, pain is, is a part of that at some level, and sometimes way worse than others. The question is not, are you going to experience pain in relationships? The question is, what are you going to do with it? So are you going to take the pain from this situation, this relationship 27 years ago, and throw it on this relationship? Maybe, maybe you were the child, and now as a parent, you treat them the same way you hated to be treated. Like, you, you can't let go of it. And somehow now it's just pouring out onto somebody else. You had this in one marriage. Now you got divorced. Like, you went through all this pain, and now you do the same thing in another marriage. Like, you take the same pain, and you just keep passing it on. That's what resentment does. Resentment just stays there. And that anger, it, it burns. And it, by, the, by the way, anger itself isn't wrong. Did you know that? There are some things we should be angry about. 
injustice, human trafficking. We, it should bug us. Like, we should wake up in the middle of the night sometimes going, oh, I got an idea. I, I think there's something we could do in our community. Maybe we could work on it this way. Like, there's some things we should be angry about. The Bible says, in your anger, don't sin. It doesn't say it's a sin to be angry. But man, in our anger, we can have all kinds of sin happening if we don't know how to deal with it. And one of the worst things we can do is let that anger fester. Here's the interesting thing. And this is what I've seen in my life. Maybe you've seen this in other people you know, not in yourself. It's hard to see these things in ourselves, right? But you can look around and go, oh, yeah, I saw that. So no elbows in the next couple of seconds, okay? Big things, yeah, we, we, we get it. Like, this was big, painful. Like, I have every right to be angry about this. But sometimes the little things create just a, as big of a, of a mess because we don't deal with them. And we sweep them under the rug. We sweep it under the rug. Sweep it under the rug until that rug has a big thing like this under there. And it's like, and then somebody kicks that rug and poof, we light a fire. Because all that resentment is just sitting in there. All that pain is just sitting and all that anger has built up and we haven't dealt with it properly. So it's just building up and it could be little things. So like I said in, in announcement time, we're gonna be starting up life groups again. Uh, Mother's Day weekend. So we've got another like 12 weeks ahead where we're going to be having life groups. We got rooted groups starting up. As those sign up start, I, I want you to be plugged in. Man, if you want to learn about how to have relationships with other people, man, get in a small group and, and, and walk with them through life. Like do that together. It, it's so important for us. But I was just thinking about those groups. I'm like, what are, what are the little things that sometimes bug us in a group? I mean, you're, they're just little, right? Maybe it's like the person that's always late. And every time they're late, then they take an extra 10 minutes to explain why they're late. Now the group's like 20 minutes behind, right? Ah, it's so irritating. Not a big deal, but it's irritating. You know, what about the person who talks too much? Like they, they know that they're the authority. And so when somebody else is talking, the only thing they're really doing is thinking about what they're going to say. And so as soon as they're done, blah, 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 done, bah, and they just go right into the next thing. And like, nobody else gets to talk. It's always them. It's always them. That can be irritating, right? What about, oh, this one, this one actually gets me sometimes. What about the person who's responsible for bringing the guacamole and they forgot it, right? And it's like, they forgot it two times in a row. You're like, oh, right? So all these things by themselves, they don't seem that big. But we just let it fester. Maybe we don't, maybe we don't talk to that person. Hey, by the way, man, maybe it's just me, but. I really want to hear from some of the other people. And it seems like you, you answer every single question before anybody else has a chance to. Let's, let's let somebody else try. Or maybe you could, I don't know, try to be on time. You know, anyway, but have the conversation and do it in a loving way. But instead, we just keep it to ourselves and we just keep piling it under the rug. And even though together they're just little things, they build up. Ever happen in your family? Uh, yeah. By themselves, not big things. But now there's eight or 10 or 12 of those things and we've piled them all up. Whether it's little or big, sometimes the feeling is life's just not fair. And this hurts. And I don't think I did anything to deserve that. Psalm 73, one of my favorite psalms. And it's about the unfairness of life. 
I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there's, this, there's these two verses like halfway down when he's like, it's starting to dawn on him that there's a problem with this way of thinking, just be focusing on what's unfair. And this is what he says. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Like he's talking to God. And he's like, I lost it. I lost it. And I was, I was embittered. I was senseless, ignorant. It's like when you're, when you're you know, grieving, when you're going through pain, when, when resentment gets the better of you, all those kind of things, we don't see clearly. And by the way, it's the beauty of having a group of people in our life that we love and they love us. And, and maybe when we're going through tough stuff and it's hard to see clearly, we have some friends around us who can look at the situation unemotionally and give us some help and some counsel and some wisdom and some prayer. And they can walk with us through that. And, and even though it just, it riles us all up, they're, they're not emotionally attached the same way. But they can give you a hug and they can pray with you and they can walk with you through that stuff. We, we need other people in our life when we're feeling like this. That's why we need those relationships. This is what he says in Hebrews chapter 12. See to it that no one falls short, the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. He's talking to the church. Just say, don't let this bitter root grow. So what, what do we do with that? We apply that love that we need from God. We, we go back to that relationship with Jesus that we desperately need. And maybe it just reminds us, you know what? I can't, I can't do this on my own effort, my own ability. I, I need his love. And, and here's what he says. Resentment destroys relationships, but forgiveness builds them. Forgiveness builds them. So I heard about this college professor. Asked her students to bring in some potatoes and a clear plastic bag. Nobody knew what was going on. Everybody's got their potatoes in this bag. And the professor, she says, all right, I want you to have one potato for every person you just can't forgive. I don't know what it is. May have been a parent, may have been a sibling, may have been somebody in school, may, whatever it was in your life. Now, now you're in college. In your life, like, I want you to think of somebody you just, you, you struggle to forgive, and I want you to write their name on the potato. So some kids, you know, they got one or two. Some kids got eight or ten. Now put them in the bag, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to carry that bag with you everywhere. So when you're driving, have it in the seat next to you. If you're riding in a car, put it on your lap. If you go to bed at night, set it in the bed next to you. If you are uh, sitting in class, I want it on your desk. You, you go into the cafeteria, you set it on the chair next to you, or on the table next to your food. You know, wherever you go, I want you to take this. Now, this is what they discovered. It was really inconvenient, and it was kind of embarrassing. Like, they would make sure they wouldn't leave it somewhere where people would see it, and then, hey, what's this all about? You know, they got these names. Hey, is that my name? You know, it's like, what's, what's going on, right? And was, so that was one part of it. But after a couple of weeks, it started getting moldy. It started to stink. They started to get eyes. You know, potatoes, they, I don't know why they call them eyes, but anyway, they spread out, you know. And it's, it's just these nasty things you're carrying around, right? You see where she was going? Forgiveness means you don't have to carry those things anymore. 
Now, we think forgiveness like is letting somebody off the hook. No. No. If what they did was illegal, they should pay the price. But you can still forgive them. If they hit you in the face, that doesn't mean you have to walk back in there and put up with that again, but you can forgive them. Forgive them means I'm, I'm not going to carry this pain around with me, this smelly, moldy pain with me anymore. Forgiveness. It might also mean this, that I give up my right to get even. God said, it's, it's my job. Vengeance is my job. I'll take care of that. And so when we give that up, yeah, it's, it's a gift to them. It's way more of a gift to you. You ain't carrying the potatoes anymore. Forgiveness. It's what we need. Listen to this, Colossians 3. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. One more verse. One more verse. Isaiah. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Everybody say that with me. Do not dwell on the past. One more time. This is God talking. See, I'm doing a new thing. Don't let the past define the way you're going to look at life and look at relationships. And, and don't let your, your past define you. We, we've got to forgive in order to move forward without the baggage, without the weight, without the pain, without the stink, without the mold, without the eyes. We've got to forgive. It's not just a recommendation, by the way. It's not just a, a suggestion by a God who knows what's best for us. It's a command. He says, I want you to forgive as God, through Jesus, forgave you. Wow. If you're watching online and you got questions about this or you need somebody to pray with you or you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, we encourage you just to email us, office at community.cc, or use the app. If you already have the app, you can fill out the communication card and mark your decisions there. You can do that here. If you got your app, make your mark there on your decision on your card. Or maybe just talk to somebody here before you get out of here. If you want somebody to pray with you before we're gone, after I pray, make your way up here. Some people will meet you up here. But let's pray together right now and close this out. God, thank you that, that you love us in spite of what we've done. I'm just going to say it simply. God, help me to forgive the way you've forgiven me. And may these things that we talked about, may they be fresh in my mind, in my relationships this week, that I might honor you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Hey, love you guys. Go get some ice cream. Unless you're at home, get your own ice cream. See you guys. Bye.